Yeah, Kamala. This, Kamala. This is Kamala. Is anybody Hello, welcome to a special edition of the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier County Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer, and I am the vice chair of the Collier County Democratic Party and the host of this podcast. Thank you guys for clicking on. As I said, this is a special episode of the Roundup where Amber, Linda, and I convene to chat about the announcement of Kamala Harris as Joe Biden's running mate. So we're going to talk about that. We also take a moment to talk about the Republican efforts to suppress the vote, including Trump's attacks on the post office. Before we dive into that, here's a quick update on things going on in the party. We have another very generous donation from a local resident who has agreed to match every single donation we get over the course of the Democratic Convention up to $7,000. So if you can, please help us capitalize on this generous offer. You can donate at our website and on our Facebook page, so check us out there. You can still get your Biden signs. We now have Biden-Harris signs and Biden-Harris bumper stickers. So you can reach out on our Facebook page and click on the link and request one of those bumper stickers or signs there. Our volunteers will drive them out and place them in your yard for you. So sign up today. Also, check out every day this week, we will have daily reactions to the Democratic National Convention that starts Monday, August 17th, and goes through Thursday August 20th. We'll talk about the speakers, the videos, the hope that come November 4th, we will have elected a rational human being as president. All of this information can be found on our website, www.callyourdems.org. That's www.callyourdems.org. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about the new vice president candidate for 2020, Kamala Harris, which was just announced a couple days ago by Joe Biden. And we're going to look into vote by mail and how the Trump administration is working diligently to undermine it this election season. But before we get into that, let me welcome Amber and Linda back to the podcast. Welcome, guys. Hey, good to be back. Hey there. So let's dive into Joe Biden's pick of Kamala Harris as his vice presidential running mate. What did you guys think about that? So I truly hadn't had a pick in my mind for the last two months that, you know, wild rampant speculation from every corner of the political world was being heaved onto us through, you know, every type of media that we can ingest. So I was just kind of, you know, taking it day by day. But then I had listened to a podcast in regards to Susan Rice and I was like, oh, wow. And I've always thought she was impressive. Yes. And uh, and I was like, OK, I can kind of get behind Susan. And then literally like four hours later, I was like, Kamala Harris is our new <laughs> vice presidential nominee. And I was like, oh, all right. OK, let me let me do a tag here. I did a deep dive about her the other night. And so I think there's some questions that could arise regarding her career as a prosecutor in, in San Francisco. So but I mean, overall, I think she's solid. Can she handle the office? Sure, I think she can. More importantly, can she handle what's about to happen to her as vice presidential nominee? Yeah, I think she can. Do I think she's a good person at heart? Sure. Yeah, I think, I, you know, the Susan Rice piece, that was the one part that 
I think was one of the more compelling reasons for Joe Biden to pick Kamala Harris is was that the scrutiny that comes with being the vice presidential pick and Harris having run in the primary just recently and being a state senator and being kind of in the limelight for as long in the last three, four years, especially during the, the Trump administration, has kind of allowed any type of baggage to be vetted uh, out in public, whereas Susan Rice hasn't run for elected office. She has a ton of national security experience and experience within the administration and dealing with world leaders and dealing within the White House, but she has never been in a campaign. And she has her own, Susan Rice, that is, has her own set of questions uh, that would be brought up and honestly would probably be a a fever dream for some Republicans with Benghazi and and all of the stuff that could come up with that. So I personally... I hear you, Jeff. I hear you. You know, he announced in the primary, God, it feels like four years ago, that he was going to choose a woman. And then after the George Floyd and the protests that happened, you know, the feeling was basically that he, he was going to choose a person of color. And, you know, we kind of knew that going into it. But I found myself having that, not quite like Barack Obama, but a similar feeling that I had with Barack Obama in the sense of, here is somebody who has just such a great story that I think really resonates with the democratic base, this daughter of immigrants. And, you know, her, her father was Jamaican, her mother was Indian, you know, both immigrants, and that she's able to come up and be on the ticket for the second highest post in the entire country. I think it's just a terrific story. And I think she's as solid as you can get. And I can't wait until the vice presidential debate where she gets to sit across from Mike (laughs) Pence. And so I just, I was very excited about it. I was, I was thrilled with the pick. I didn't think it was surprising. It was the most logical pick, but after it was done, I'm, I'm pretty stoked by it. I think it's a good pick. I was also quite excited by it, honestly. And I know that as Linda was saying that there's some discussions about her record in various ways, but she is a smart, intelligent, super quick woman who shows compassion And as Jeff said, the fact that she has been in the spotlight in a campaign type environment, I think is super important. I think somebody like Susan Rice, who is extremely qualified in national issues, she's probably more in the lines of a a national position like Secretary of State or National Security Advisor or something like that. So I, I definitely think there are qualified positions for many of the women who were in running for this position. But I, I also agree. She's probably the best pick that he could have had. And in the days since her announcement, you can see the Republicans are obviously flustered by her choice. And, and it's somewhat surprisingly, in fact, because I figured they already had their attacks lined up for whoever was picked, you know, they, it was a small list other than a surprise candidate. They pulled out of nowhere, which is not really Joe Biden style. They had, they knew it was probably going to be one of these few people. And the fact that 
their message is all over the place, I feel like is kind of interesting. And I agree with Jeff as well that I think that she can resonate with the American people. She's wildly popular in California. And I think, you know, honestly, I think the thing to me that that a few people were trying to use as a negative as soon as she was announced was the fact that during the debates, she went after Joe Biden and had some of the most memorable attacks against him. And to me, that was one of the biggest positives, because how refreshing is it to see a man who is able to be confronted by a woman, and not only does he just not call her names like nasty and mean, but he actually selects her and wants her to be the person who's the last person in the room before he makes any big decisions, which is what he had said. And and the fact that I do feel like she will challenge him. And to me, that is not only exciting and necessary, but also so refreshing considering our current political environment. So I was excited. And you're right, Amber, that whole argument of her potentially pointing out some faux pas by Biden in the past, that was deeply misogynistic on whatever news outlet reported that. I mean, that's just absurd because anyone else in the running has, especially if you're running in a primary like that, they all threw aspersions at each other. I hope she talks back to him every freaking chance she gets that'll make democracy but like the way it should be why is it give and take that the whole argument that just shows the misogyny that was present in that debate i mean like if bernie sanders attacks joe biden on some point it doesn't become this thing that like ooh, and then the whole narrative that went around that she's too ambitious for the vice president like that never comes up with any male and it's like, yes, of course she's ambitious. Everyone is ambitious. Like you have to yeah, be ambitious if you're going for not. president. Like you, or or vice president, or, or senator, or district attorney. You have to have some level of ambition, right? Like to want to move forth in the world. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. It's not. This isn't 1789, no, where yeah. all the presidential it had to feign like, well, no, I'm not seeking office. If I happen to be selected by the people, then I'll serve. Like this whole thing went out the window. <laughs> you know, 224 years ago. And so, you know, I, I'm thrilled with it. And Amber, to echo your point, the person who attacked him the hardest was Kamala in the debates. And for him to then come and select her and to not hold a grudge like the current incumbent holds a grudge and to not look for someone who is willing to kowtow and shrink and just basically be a toady and a yes person to everything that they want, like the current incumbent looks for. He chose someone who has opinions, who is going to state their opinions from a position of authority, in fact. And I think you're 100% spot on. It is exactly what you want to see is the anti-Trump. And that what, what Biden did was exactly the opposite of what Donald Trump would do. Donald Trump would never select a woman, first of all, but would never select someone who questioned him or or called him out on anything. And the, I think the country will be better for it. Okay, well, I guess now I'm really happy. 
no, I, I honestly was, I was fine. I, I really was. I just, I guess I'm just a worry wart. So I view everything through the lens of what's going to be heaped upon her now right. that this has been bestowed upon her, you know? And, and so I get nervous. I get nervous for us as Democrats, for our party, yeah. you know, for our country come November. So, I just, you know, I, I hear you. I just think that of all the candidates that were available by far, the potential pitfalls of the choice, she had the smallest pitfall. I mean, what you're really worried about is her role as a prosecutor in California. But I think the only consistent argument coming out of the Trump administration against Biden is this laughable suggestion that he wants to defund the police and become this like anti-rule, anti-law president. And then he nominates a prosecutor who's worked with cops and done those things. The thing that Trump wants to run against is Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. AOC, far left mm-hmm. politicians Warren. And, and Warren and Biden isn't that. And all of those ads that are trying to say that he's going to ruin everything aren't resonating with people. And I think with the lead that he has in the polls, this is, you know, the number one priority is to do no harm. And this pick does exactly that. And I, and I think it also injects a little bit of excitement in life. I mean, if they win, it'll be the first female executive that the country has ever had, the first person of color in the vice president position, and the first Asian American ever to be elected to one of the highest offices in the land. So, I mean, it's a history-making ticket as well as as one that is safe and, and doesn't do any harm to the to the campaign. So I, I think it was as perfect as he, he could have done. I think also what I saw today, too, going along with the collective nationwide excitement about her as a pick is, I mean, she was on the cover of every leading newspaper, every blog post, every social media post that I clicked on. And I haven't seen that level of coverage for the Democratic Party in four years. So that was very exciting. I know it's a newness too, but I'm hopeful that she is going to go toe to toe. What I heard today on a, on another political podcast was that she's uh, preparing herself to be kind of like the pit bull of this ticket. So Biden is going to be, you know, that's the vice president role kind of in the campaign. Yeah, but but I mean, I think she has the teeth to do it. She's She's more teeth than Biden. Exactly. So, and in a way that won't be divisive, I think it'll, it'll be in a constructive way, but with gravitas, you know, as in people are going to sit up and listen to what, what she has to say by, you know, the level of coverage and excitement that I saw today. I hope that that continues moving forward because I think that's someone that we need someone to dominate the conversation at the moment and, and change it. And I think there's a large amount of the population that was not following the primary and you have to remember you know she dropped out of the primary before any votes were cast yeah Yeah. so the fact that most people in the country i would say were not really even paying attention to the intricacies of the primary at that point and so by the time she was out you know the average american shall we say was not even paying attention so i think that there's a lot of people especially in our current environment where they may be feeling a bit flustered by everything that's been going on and seeing this and learning about her for the first time 
really. And I'm hoping that that kind of ray of, of newness and hope will, will invigorate them. I mean, I listened to their speech yesterday when he introduced her nationally and, you know, I'm not usually a person that's won over by speeches. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, right. You got to say that. But I was, I was honestly extremely hopeful and extremely moved by some of the things that they were saying. And I think part of it was, it was like a normal political speech and with normal that we've been missing for yes. and four it was years. So glaringly, like it sounded downright wholesome. The void that I feel <laughs> that we've had. And unless you've been living in a void for the last 30 years, you are familiar with this. And I hope that this gave some people a memory for what <laughs> normal discourse should be and what, you know, you don't have to agree with every single thing that they say, but you have to agree, hopefully, with common human decency. And they were definitely exuding that and that made me made me hopeful we know that everyone is going through a tough time right now and many have lost their jobs or have had their pay cut because of the pandemic your local democratic party is a fully volunteer force of dedicated democrats who are continuing to work hard to defeat donald trump and elect democrats up and down the ballot for this november this election is the most important of our lifetime, and we see how important it is to have competent and effective leadership in all areas of government, from the White House to the State House. Every donation to the Collier County Democratic Party supports Democratic candidates here in Collier County and helps us to educate, register, and motivate voters to get to the polls. Please go to www.collierdems.org. That's www.collierdems.org. Org, and click on the red donate button to help. We thank you for your support. Well, speaking of common decency, let's move to something that is not as decent, which is the Republican efforts and the Trump administration's efforts to restrict mail-in voting and to generally just reduce turnout and kind of keep people from voting. So Amber, do you want to dive into what you found about that. yeah yeah this was quite a um this has been it's a lot i know I, it's, a, uh, it's a lot like i don't even know where to start should, where do we need to start if you're eligible to vote vote that's yes. where we need to start like yeah. go get registered exactly. get your vote by mail ballot and vote do that ignore so, the president do that and i will further say that once you get your mail-in ballot in your hot little hand do not let it sit on your counter stick a stamp on it, fill it out, and send it in right away. Because regardless of what the Democrats want to say right now, our ability to vote via the post office is being messed with right now. And I don't know if it's going to be fixed by the time that we go to the polls in November. So get your mail-in ballot. I'm talking to you, everybody that's listening here. Tell your friends, tell everybody, mail it in right away. As soon as you get it, don't let it sit on your counter, fill it out, send it in. Yeah. So the reason why we're so exasperated at the moment is that over the last, specifically the last month, but really this has been in the making for a while, Trump has been trying to dismantle the postal service in little steps. And just to reiterate the fact that establishing post offices and post roads is a power of the Congress that is explicitly enumerated in the Constitution. 
But beside the fact, I think it's important to note that the U.S. Postal Service is a government service. It is not a for-profit business. It does not need to make a profit. It is a right of the American constituency to have the Postal Service, and it does not need to turn a profit. So even despite the fact that he wants it to turn a profit, that is not necessary. We, we don't look at like health and human services and say, oh, why aren't they turning a profit or other, other services that the government provides and ask, why aren't they turning a profit? It just doesn't make sense. And that's the way that the post office should be seen. Anyways, so just to dive in, the, the post master general retired in January and prior to that, she had been assaulted by Trump, pretty much primarily because of his axe to grind with Jeff Bezos of Amazon. And he wanted the post office to charge them more money because he thought that Amazon was getting a sweet deal with the post office, despite the fact that even though they have a contract, the post office actually benefits from this contract as well. So the postmaster general retired after 33 years with the post office and Trump has appointed postmaster general named Louis DeJoy. He is better known as a Republican donor and a Trump backer, North Carolina businessman who has had zero experience within the postal service specifically. When he was appointed, Bill Crystal, who is a conservative commentator commented this seems kind of like putting the fox in front of the hen house oh god i read that too. yeah oh. so this year alone he has donated three hundred and sixty thousand dollars to the trump super PAC and two and a half million dollars to republican causes since 2016 so after he was put into office in mid-July, he restructured the post office. The first thing that he did was he forbade overtime. The postal workers were told to leave mail behind if it was going to make them have to work longer, which obviously as time goes on, that just leaves a buildup of mail. And then, you know, you follow this up and this is where like, all these things by themselves obviously are pointing to a certain direction. Like, okay, it looks like maybe they're trying to disrupt the mail service. But amongst all of this, you've had an entire year or so of Trump constantly railing against vote by mail and how terrible it is and how awful it is and all the fraud, despite the fact that even studies by conservative groups show that the fraud is completely minimal at most. And then on July 30th, after these cuts were made to the post office, Trump tweets that because of mail-in voting fraud, maybe we should think about delaying the election, which thankfully was decried by both sides of the aisle. And then this past week, which some people were calling a Friday night massacre, they set up a new organizational chart for the post office, which took 23 of their executives reassigning or firing them. They've put a hiring freeze on the post office, and we have seven regions that the post office currently runs, and they've cut that down to four. Adding on to that, the ballots now have to have 55 cent stamps instead of the previous 20 cent bulk rate stamps. We've learned that 
DeJoy has vested interests monetarily in competitors to the post office. And, and we just learned a couple days ago that they have started deactivating mail sorting machines across the country, which the whole purpose of those is for efficiency. And postal workers, the postal union, everybody is up in arms about what they've been seeing this last month. And this is in the middle, not only of a pandemic, but also two months prior to the mail-in ballots being sent out in a major election. So if, if that was not any more reason to think that this was something, today in an interview with Fox Business, Trump essentially said it in blatant words. He was asked, why were they not able to come to an agreement on the stimulus deal that they've been trying to work on, which Democrats passed in May? Trump said that one of the major factors is that Democrats were pushing for an injection of funds into the U.S. Postal Service because they have been losing money since this pandemic and they need that to maintain their operations. He said that Democrats won three and a half billion dollars for something that'll turn out to be fraudulent. That's election money, basically. They want twenty five billion dollars for the post office. Now, they need that money in order to have the post office work so it can take all of these millions and millions of ballots. Now, in the meantime, they aren't getting there. But if they don't get those two items, that means you can't have universal mail in voting because they're not equipped to have it. If we don't make a deal, that means they don't get the money. That means they can't have universal mail in voting. They just can't have it. If it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And that duck is the subversion of democracy. That's what's freaking quacking right now. No, the interesting thing is, is that this is the only real play for the Trump administration is just massive and blatant obstruction because he has been downplaying mail-in voting for a very long time, even though he does it himself and all of his family members do it themselves. They all uh, vote by mail here in Florida. And uh, Oh, but, but Florida is okay. We just found out a week ago after all of this. Correct. Florida, and, for some reason, is okay. And let me give you a reason why that, that is, because here's a little background on what we know, is that Democrats right now have a 700,000 vote-by-mail advantage in terms of number of voters who have requested a vote-by-mail ballot. To put that in perspective, in 2016, the Democrats had an 8,000 vote by mail ballot advantage. Eight. We have a 700,000 ballot wow. that's advantage. That's a great number. And that's awesome. To put that in perspective, the reason why this scares the Republican Party is because statistics show across all states, across all the, the country, that voter turnout, so the number of people who actually return a vote by mail ballot and vote, is 86.5%. So if 86.5% of all people who request a vote by mail ballot end up returning it. So you can see why the Republicans would be terrified by this gap. And Trump's constant berating of the vote by mail and trying to undercut this election has been heard by Republican voters and they have steer cleared of requesting vote by mail ballots. And as a result, there is this massive gap between the Democratic and Republican parties in terms of how many people have requested vote by mail ballots. And that's why you saw last week, 
the president coming out and saying, oh, but in Florida, it's okay. Go ahead and get it. The same thing is happening, by the way, in North Carolina. You're seeing huge disparities between Democrats and Republicans on requesting vote by mail ballots in that state. And just this couple days ago, President Trump started saying that, oh, North Carolina is okay. You can do it in North Carolina because that's okay. So we're 83 days. People can start casting ballots here in roughly 40 days. Vote by mail ballots will be in people's mailbox on September 24th, and they can start casting ballots then. There's not a lot of time to make up this gap for Republicans. And they have one play, and that's prevent those votes from getting to the supervisor of elections. That's the only way. And as Linda said at the beginning of this entire topic, don't sit on your vote by mail ballot. You can turn it in as soon as you get it, fill out the ballot, sign it, and put a stamp on it and send it in. Or if you don't trust the mailbox and you don't trust the mail service because of all what's going on, the supervisor of elections here in Collier County will have drop-off locations at every single early vote location where you can come and drop off your vote by mail ballot into a box and you don't even have to count on the post office to do it. Or if you don't trust that those will be picked up there, you can drive it and drop it off at the supervisor of elections office itself. They will have a drop box there as well. So you can do any of that. And then once you do that, you can go online to callyourvotes.com, put in your name and verify that the vote by mail ballot has been received. You will get a notice that says, yes, it's been received, it's been accepted, and you know it's in the supervisor of elections. So do it quick, do it early, check. And if you have an issue, you have a full month and a half to be able to rectify the issue that happened. Do not wait until the end of this to deal with voting. You can't do it this year because they are doing everything in their power to try to make sure that everyone can't vote. Usually it's just minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, poor people. That's usually who they try to disenfranchise. Now it's everybody who uses the vote by mail. They want to disenfranchise the entire electorate by blocking the post office. Yeah, and I have a question. Um, is the drop box at the supervisor of elections, that's available as soon as ballots go out. You don't have to wait until early voting for that drop off, correct? Correct. Yes, you can return your vote by mail ballot to the supervisor of elections at any time once you've received the ballot. And that's 24 hours a day at the supervisor of elections office. Now, there will be a drop box at each of the nine early voting locations where you can drop off your vote by mail ballot into that drop box. And you don't have to go into the poll and you don't have to get in line and you don't have to do any of that. And if you don't trust the the mail to get it to the supervisor elections, you can literally drive it and drop it off at their office or at any of the early vote locations during the early vote period. I have to say, I did that today with my primary ballots. I took them to the Orange Blossom Library. I walked right up, didn't have to wait in any line. And there was a person there next to the the box where you, and it's a pretty obvious like metal box, kind of looks like an old school mailbox. And you drop it in there. It was very nice because the person there reviews your ballot to make sure that you have signed it and done everything properly on the outside. And then you can drop it in the slot. And I felt, I felt like that was super easy to do. And also I think it's important to note that 
if for some reason you wake up on election day and you realize, oh my gosh, I completely forgot to mail in my ballot or drop it off during early voting, that you can still go in person and vote just like normal at your precinct. Just because you've requested a mail-in ballot does not mean that's the only way you can vote. So, And you don't even need to bring the mail-in ballot into the voting precinct anymore because of the way they calculate the votes received, whichever they received first. So if you have not sent in your vote and you go in to vote in person on election day, then that is the vote that will count for you. So you do not need to worry about if you lose it or if the mail loses it or if it doesn't get to you in time. If you request it by mail and for some reason you get to election day and you haven't gotten it in, you can always still go and vote in person. So it's really foolproof. Yeah, and I would say the only thing to keep in mind for people out there, if you do get on election day, and this is the number one thing that happens with voters, especially new voters, there's a big difference. On early vote, you can vote at any of the early vote locations. You can go to any one of them. On election day... You have to vote in your precinct. You cannot go to an early vote location. You cannot go to any voting location. You have to go to the one that is in your precinct. They will not let, well, they will let you vote, but your vote will be considered a provisional ballot. It will not be counted until afterwards. So um, that is the one thing to keep in mind is that if on election day, make sure you're going to the right precinct voting location. And you can find that very easily on our website, www.callyourdems.org, or you can find it on the Supervisor of Elections website, www.callyourvotes.com. And you just put in your address and it'll tell you where your precinct is and where you need to go to vote. So just keep that in mind. And just one other thing, it's really important if you do send your mail-in ballot in as soon as you're able to, what happens is your name is now taken off the rolls of people who have a mail-in ballot that is outstanding. And what happens is the Democratic Party is going to have a long list of volunteers who are going to be working tirelessly from the moment those mail-in ballots go out until Election Day to make sure that the people who requested them actually return them. So anything you can do to take yourself off of the list, that's one less person that they have to reach out to. And that makes their job easier in actually reaching the voters who may not be returning their ballots and may need extra encouragement. Correct. You nailed it. And are you looking for more people? Are you looking for more volunteers? We need more volunteers every time. We need more volunteers to do all of it. I mean, we've got people stepping up, but, you know, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Get out the vote activities by the party and by campaigns are trying to make sure that all the people who requested a ballot uh, get out and vote and get out to vote for Joe Biden and all of the Democratic candidates down the ticket. And our volunteers will be contacting everyone who hasn't voted. And this goes for early vote. So if you're someone who isn't doing vote by mail and you want to, you still want to go and vote in person, which uh, as long as you do it socially distant and um, safely, that's your prerogative. And we encourage you to go out and vote. The same thing applies. We get updated by the supervisor of elections of when people vote. We don't know how they vote, but we know that they have submitted a ballot. And so we get updated on that. Once we get that information, then your name comes off the list and we stop calling you. So 
even if you're someone who's like, I just wish they would stop calling me, <laughs> send it in yeah. immediately and your name comes off our list and we stop calling you. And we focus on the people who aren't. The most important thing for the party here locally, if we could get every single Democrat to send in their ballot immediately upon getting their ballot, and we could focus all in our energy on persuasion and getting those people who are you know, first-time voters or lukewarm voters who don't go out and vote all the time to make sure that they get their vote counted and, and go out. You also think the sooner you do that, the shorter the lines are at polling locations, the less likely that your casual voter who's going in, who wants to vote but doesn't have the time, or someone who works, gets off work, goes to the, the polling location, sees a long line, says, I, I just can't, I got to get home, I got I to gotta feed the kids, I got to do all these things. You know, the, the quicker we get these ballots in, the less the lines are and that those casual voters or the people who don't have the time can get in and cast their ballot and get going is easier. So it just makes everything easier. And I, I wish that we could say that our own government right now was doing everything they could to make it easier to vote for people, especially during a pandemic. You know, it's just amazing to me. Like the, the fundamental part of this country is voting. That is it. That the whole thing is you are a citizen. You get to choose who runs the country. That's the whole concept of this. And to be doing things to prevent people from making those choices is astounding to me. And then let's not forget the post office is in the Constitution. We're having this argument, oh, well, they're not profitable enough. What do you mean they're not profitable enough? Doesn't they make don't any need sense. to be profitable. Doesn't make any sense. I don't hear anybody asking, well, the fire department, they didn't really make a profit, so let's start charging people every time they have a fire. It's a public service. That's it. We pay taxes for you to be able to deliver the mail. And they cover most of their expenses, honestly. Not, and the other thing that's really frustrating that people don't think about with the post office is that... The post office, because it's in the Constitution, is obligated to get mail to every single citizen in this country. It oh, is I, a right. Yeah. And so I think FedEx, that's very important to say. I was actually FedEx, going to say that. Go ahead. FedEx and UPS and these private mail carriers can make decisions. Oh, you're out in the rural. We don't deliver there because it's not or profitable. We do deliver there. It just costs $70 right. to give you your package. Correct. Correct. And so... Or you have to go to a drop-off location to pick up your package if Correct. you're wrong. They and don't so, even bring it to your door. Right. And so what happens is, very similar to charter schools here, which is, why is charter schools have such great test scores? Because they get rid of all the people who don't get test scores. And, and so what happens, all those kids who have learning disabilities or have any type of ESOL, English as a Second Language, or anything like that, they all get pushed into public schools, and all the kids that don't have those issues and are wealthy and have the time to do all these things, they go into charter schools and they show, oh, well, look at our, our schools. Everyone does this. Well, yeah, you got rid of all the people. And it's the same thing with the post office where they say, well, look, look at all much money. They're so less profitable than UPS. Well, yeah, because UPS and FedEx don't have to deal with all the ones that are unprofitable, the ones yeah. that are really difficult to deal with. And that's where the cost goes up. And so, it, but it's a service. I saw an example of sending a letter to your grandma who lives in a rural area be 55 cents. Well, in with UPS or FedEx, it was like $18 for a letter. And then you want to mail Christmas presents to your grandkids. Okay, well, that was maybe at the post office, it's like 25 bucks. Well, it's going to be like four or five times that. 
it's it's prohibitive on people and that is the reason why it was set up in the constitution was because that was deemed essential to our nation yeah it was the only way to correspond with people yeah. was through mail and business was conducted through mail back then right. and like now we don't do that so people feel like oh it's this burden no people it's yeah, astounding but people get their people yeah. gets everything people yeah. it's, it's not their mail people get their medicine Yep. Thank People you. Get yeah, legal it's it's documents. not just letters from Granny. Yeah. It, it's it's uh, so many right. important yeah. things are still being moved by the United States Postal Service. And uh, again, I'm going to say that all these issues that Republicans are going to talk about now in support of this, or just because they're too chicken shit to call out the president for what he's really doing, if you've actually wanted to help the Postal Service, you could have done it many many years ago. So it just reeks that you're trying to do it now, 83 days before an election. Yeah, it's just absurd. And it's, the, it's absurd. You know what? I'm, I'm going to say this. I find it <laughs> reprehensible that today Amy Klobuchar had all 47 Democrats in the Senate sign a letter that got sent to Postmaster Louis Nojoy DeJoy that says, you need to cease and desist with your current actions right now to undermine the Postal Service. Just stop. But not one, not one freaking Republican signed this, even though there is no conspiracy theory here. I've had relatives who've worked in the Postal Service. They have been overworked, okay? The Postal Service relies on overtime just to get the regular mail out. And then you hamper it with, you know, a couple other bills here and there saying it has to do these things. But we know one thing. It's a, it's the United States Postal Service. Your mail oftentimes isn't going to be on time in the best of circumstances. So how can this be? How can the deregulation, how can the taking away of overtime be seen as anything but during an election year trying to undermine democracy? How can it be seen in any other way? And then I heard about that letter and I was like, no Republican crossed the aisle of to sign that not. letter. Well, I'm surprised I, Mitt Romney didn't. Right? I know. He, he, I, I don't he even understand He surprises me it. that he didn't, but I don't know. The, there's still time. You know, the, yeah, there's, I guess there's still time. It, it, we have, we have no time. We've got no time. It's 83 days. The one other thing that I wanted to just cover, because this is kind of built all along this discussion about the Postal Service is this discussion about fraud. And I read this study that was done by the Heritage Foundation, which is, anybody knows is a right-wing think tank. And they've been studying voter fraud for years because they're essentially they're trying to provide support for more restrictive voting laws and voter ID laws. But if you look at their database, which is available and you look at the cases of voter fraud, you know, they're talking about this rampant illegal voter activity, the Republicans. There's different categories as to where the voter fraud happens. It can happen as false voter registration or ballot petition fraud, but either of those can occur regardless of whether you have vote by mail or, you know, just you're voting in person. So that doesn't really change anything. So really the main way that people could abuse the vote by mail system is by duplicate voting or with fraudulent abuse of an absentee ballot. 
So it takes a lot. It takes a lot to want to do this. There's multiple ways that you can do voter fraud, but really there's only like one way where vote by mail, you know, other than people actually going and stealing ballots, which doesn't really make a lot of sense because how is that? We can't get people to vote. Yeah. Like, I just want to point out, like, I think there was what, 130 million votes cast in... 2016 for the presidential election. I mean, when you look at that number, it's 130. There's 330 million people in the United States. I mean, turnout was roughly 50%. It's abysmal. And like the argument that there are these people out there that are just going around to commit a felony that you can go to jail for to risk it for what to move it minutely it's absurd. Federal. Well, that's where this study. So in this study at the Heritage Foundation. They looked at the five states that have universal mail-in voting. So they figured, okay, well, those are the states that have the most data because everybody votes by mail in those states, which is Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. And they looked at those, and you know, some of them have been for a several decades. And in looking at those, they found that there were 44 total cases of voter fraud in those five states and 24 of them were by the case where vote by mail was easier now this is over a number of years in in essence 50 million votes these are the numbers that came out of these five states in 50 million votes about 24 of those were discovered to be a voter fraud in a, like a vote by mail situation. One of them was a woman who registered her dog to vote and like various things like that. But again, like you're saying, you're getting a few votes. I mean, my God, if you had those numbers with like coronavirus, you look at like Colorado, for example, had eight cases of duplicate voting or absentee ballot fraud, eight cases out of 15 million votes. I mean, you look at Florida, we have 21 million population. If we had eight cases of coronavirus, would people be screaming and be like, oh, my God, coronavirus is rampant? No, we wouldn't. We'd be like, okay, let's deal with those eight cases. But, like, it's not a problem. And that's what these people are screaming about. Trump, on a almost weekly or biweekly basis, is talking about mail-in voter fraud. And this is what they're talking about. It doesn't exist. It It just doesn't doesn't exist. exist. And the main purpose of it is the Republican Party is a homogenous group of people, and it's a minority party. And they have stopped completely trying to win over converts. They have just stopped completely trying to appeal to African-American, Hispanic, women, people of color. They're just not trying They have one constituency, one base. It is white evangelical men. That is it. And let's not forget, in 2012, when Barack Obama won re-election, the Republican Party went through and did what they called the autopsy report. And basically, they took a hard look at what do we have to do in the coming years to remain a relevant party. And what they recommended was, we need to reach out to Hispanic people People mm-hmm. and people of color, because if we don't, we're just going to become a 
minority party. The problem was is that Trump came and showed them, oh, no, you can just be xenophobic and race baiting and they can win the election in a fluke, mind you. He did win the election, but it's a fluke. And I want to point out that the Democratic candidate has won the popular vote for president every single time except once since 1992. I want you to think about that. I mean, it's 2020 right now. I mean, we're talking about 28 years that the national vote has for president only one time, George W. Bush in 2004, but Clinton, Clinton, Gore, Obama, Obama, Clinton. All right, that's the show. Thanks to Agent 13 for the theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have 78 days left until Election Day. Still time to help out. Hope everyone is staying safe out there. Until next time, so long. So long.